We're going to continue on in the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to begin just giving you a couple illustrations to get us in kind of the mindset of, I think, that Jesus is wanting to uh, get into our hearts about this morning. And uh, the first one is this. Let's say that, um, you know, my wife's name's Noel. Let's say that she has a tough day, and I'm thankful for all that she's done for her family and in the community. And so I, I go get a big bouquet of flowers from Kroger, and I didn't get the ones on clearance. I got the high-dollar ones. Let's go around, right? And so you know what I'm talking about. That's why there's some laughter in here. There's some other dudes in here that bought those clearance flowers. Um, anyway, so I bring them home, present them to her, and say, hey, listen, I'm so thankful for all that you've done. And I list out all the ways that I'm encouraged by her life, and I give her the flowers, and she goes in. There's some tears. She goes in. She's thankful, sets up a nice uh, vase, and fluffs out the bouquet, all that you do there. I'm not quite sure, but um, she gets it already, sets it on the table. And then a couple hours later, she sees me. She Out of the corner of the eye, she sees me in the other room where the vase is at, and I'm like rearranging the flowers, and I'm taking a truckload of pictures. And, uh, and she looks on Instagram, and she notices that I posted what I had done for her. And uh, we, go to the, we go to bed that night, and she's thinking in the back of her mind, so were those flowers for me or for him? Let me give you another illustration. So we went to the beach for a vacation this summer. Let's say that I had an amazing uh, date idea to take her out for a, uh, a sunset picnic on the beach, right, with all her favorite foods. Get it all ready. It's all at the beach, ready to roll. We head down there, and we sit down there, and as the sun is setting, I'm like, hey, babe, can I just take a quick picture of us out here together? And she, sure, you know, she wants us to, to uh, remember this moment as well. And so, but I proceed to take so many pictures just trying to get the light right. And uh, so much so that the sun sets, we haven't eaten, the food's getting cold, and I give up, and she just notices I'm just so frustrated the rest of the evening, just this minor level of frustration. And again, she heads to bed that night wondering, so was all of this for him or for us? And, uh, you know, those may be a little far-fetched, but what do those situations reveal? I do think reveal a few things that I think are going to be a segue for us this morning. One is that we can really do good things for the wrong reasons. Uh, those acts that uh, in those illustrations are good things, but it's pretty clear through the details of the story that they had nothing to do with the person that they were meant for, but more for the person doing them. And, uh, and I think that it brings out this other point that doing... Um, Things for their admiration of others can be very, very subtle. Now, my illustrations weren't very subtle. It tends to be a little bit more subtle in our lives. But the subtlety comes out like this way, is that our, our motivations can be very mixed. What can start out as a good thing can easily be corrupted in becoming a not-so-good thing over time, being tainted by the admiration of others. And then the last thing I think this illustrates, and this is why I think this passage is real important for us this morning, is that doing things for the admiration of others hurts relationships. So what was meant to be a beautiful set of flowers really becomes pretty gross, right, at the end of the story. Because really, they, Noel was just a means to a different end. And how, did, how would that make her feel in that moment, right? So a beautiful sunset picnic uh, really becomes pretty sick in the end, but it had nothing to do with the marriage and everything to do with about the admiration of others. And so it hurts 
relationships. And so these examples, I think, bring to light this massive temptation for you and I to live for the admiration of others. And this really is what Jesus is after in our text this morning. And so our big picture summary, what we're, what we're wanting to see from the passage this morning, it'll be on your screen here, is the temptation to live for the admiration of others is strong, but the hope we have is even stronger. Let's pray. Father, um, you know us very well. And what Jesus addresses here, particularly of the religious leaders, is something that mankind has dealt with since we've been in existence on this earth, Father. We struggle wanting and hunting down and seeking out the admiration of others. And it comes out in so many different places in our life. And here you're dealing with it in our religious acts towards you. And so, Father, what I ask you to do is that you would help us to see uh, our struggle and to frame it in the way you want us to see it. But, God, would you help us to see that the hope that we have is far greater than anything any temptation could ever promise. God, let us walk away with a gracious taste of who you are this morning. Do what we have no power to do this morning, which is to make your word come alive. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So if you're just with us, I want to catch you up on where we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus's teachings from Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. And so it's been dealing with righteousness. And this, the religious leaders in their day had their view of what they thought God expected of them, but they had twisted it. They had been twisting God's law to fit, fit their own needs. And Jesus has been challenging them in, in really their understanding of righteousness. And he's been pushing that is to be from the heart. And in doing this, he's given us a vision for all of his followers of what he wants for us, that he wants this righteousness to come from our heart. And now in our passage today, it's a transition from chapter 5 to chapter 6, and he's beginning to speak about who this righteousness is for, ultimately, and what drives our acts of righteousness. And he's dealing specifically with religious act, religious things like giving and praying and fasting. That's what he's using in this passage to illustrate our point. And there's this phrase that he repeats, and we're not going to see it on the screen. You can probably just hear it from what we, what we just heard, but... It was this repetition of phrase of when you give and when you pray and when you fast. And he's not saying if you do those things, but when. They're expected as followers of Jesus. And so what's he mean there? Well, there's a lot that you can learn about praying and giving and fasting from this passage. But we're, we're going to focus more on, the, on what Jesus is after in those things and what drives us in those things. And so uh, if you, his expectation is that those things would be part of a follower of Christ's life because those are means in which we know him and reflect him in this world. And so if you want to know more about that, I can suggest some books for you. I can have more conversations about what he's teaching about, maybe prayer and all those things here. You can go to our seminars in our grow section on our website, and you can see a seminar on prayer there that'll cover the Lord's Prayer and some of these other things in here. But we want to focus on here because I believe what this text is emphasizing is why we do those things, not if we should do those things or if those things are good. And so we're going to begin here with the temptation. And we're going to look at uh, a selection of verses that will be on the screen for us that Jesus is going to unpack the temptation that we have. And he says in verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. It goes on in verse 2, thus when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Then we see this revisit again in verse 5. And he says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand in, and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. And then in verse 16, and when you fast, 
Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. So our first verse here really sets the tone for the whole section and lays out what Jesus is after here. He's not saying that no one should see our righteous obedience, but rather we do not do them in order to be seen. And this temptation for our acts of righteousness to be for their admiration of others is really strong. I mean, this is why Jesus is addressing it. The admiration of others is addicting. That's why he's dealing with it here. That's why he's dealing with a significant and repeating it over and over and over again because he knows us. We get a taste of it and we want more. The fix is short. Whatever praise we get, it really delivers for a moment, but then is gone and we're, went, we're, we're back at it on the hunt for it again. And at the core of this, and this is, I think, why it's wrong and why, and why Jesus ultimately is dealing with it, is that the core of living for the admiration of others is hypocrisy. How? How would it be hypocrisy? When we live for the admiration of others, what we're wanting is the reputation rather than the actual. That's what we're after. We don't really care about God. We're just using him to get what we want, the admiration of another. And so you go back to my initial illustrations. So the reason why you would give flowers to someone is to celebrate that person. But in that moment, it was an act of hypocrisy because it had nothing to do with the celebration of the other and everything to do with the admiration of the person giving it right? So it's hypocrisy. It's doing something that really wasn't intended to do, to come across, to to appear more godly instead of being wanting to be godly. Uh, In my study this week, um, I came across this idea of hypocrisy as being like actors and actresses. So I want to give you a selection of a couple commentators, some scholars, and what they had to say about it. I, I think it's real helpful. The first is D.A. Carson. He says this, and they'll be up on the screen. A hypocrite is basically an actor, Consciously or unconsciously. In fact, the classical Greek word here, which when this was originally written, and it was written in Greek, here translated hypocrite, originally meant actor. Hypocritical piety is not from the heart. It's not genuine. It's play-acting piety. And then John Stott, another scholar commentator, picks up on that, and he says, they are like actors and that they are pretending so that what we are seeing are not real people, but those playing a part, putting on a mask, wearing a disguise. Yet they are quite unlike actors in the sense that they take some religious practice, which is a real activity, and turn it into what was never meant to be, namely a piece of, place, a piece of make-believe, a theatrical display before an audience. And it's all done for applause. And so what Jesus is getting after, when we take things like giving and praying and fasting, add to the to that reading the Bible service that are meant to reflect God and draw us closer to him, then when we use them to hunt after the admiration of others, we're turning ourselves into hypocrites. The very thing that Jesus is saying. We use God. We ignore God. We want something else besides God. And when you begin to frame it like that, how Jesus originally intended us to hear it, you start seeing, well, this is a big deal to him. But it's subtle. It isn't easy to discern in our lives. And so let me, I want to, I want to point out some things on how we might could discern this in our life. Because on the outside, things can all look the same. It's really about the heart and what drives us. And so think about our motives. Why do we do a particular act of service or give or pray? Or maybe when we serve someone or lead something or pray, do we wonder if anyone noticed? Back of our mind. 
Or think about how we respond when we're not acknowledged or thanked. Do we find ourselves hurt, frustrated, resentful? Maybe you can even think about the the type of service or things we're willing to do. Are we prone to want to do things that are more public in nature that may be around people where you could get admiration as opposed to those things that might not be seen by others? Maybe you can even think about why we sometimes were unwilling to take on a leadership role, unwilling to do some things like we're seeing this passage because maybe we're afraid on how we're going to come across or maybe we'll fail or what others might think about us. That's still about the admiration of others. And when we begin to think about what Jesus is dealing with here, this hunt for admiration really applies broadly to work, to sports, to school, to relationships, you name it. Now, I I do think there's a particular heinous version of it when it comes to religious acts like prayer and sacrifice and giving and those kinds of things. Because those things are expressly meant to reflect Him, expressly meant to be means to know Him. And when we twist those to get something other than God, it's especially heinous in that sense. But this hunt for admiration applies to all things. And we can really find this to be pretty prevalent in our lives. But Jesus gives us, it's interesting, this text, when you read it, it's the same, for, it's the same uh, in a sense, He gives the warning and he tells you a few things, and he tells you to, to, to live for your father. But he gives us a surprising warning here, and we're going to see it in verses 2 and 3 specifically up on the screen. That we can live for others' admiration, and we will get it, but that's all we'll get. Listen to this. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street quarters that they may be seen by others. And truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. What's he getting at here? We can live for the admiration of others, and we can get it, but nothing more. You want the admiration of others? There are plenty of things you can do to get it, but that is all you will get. What does he mean by that? Is that there is going to be no real and lasting satisfaction in the presence of God if you hunt for the admiration of others. That's what he's after here. If you remember our sermon series through Ecclesiastes, the way he would describe it is that if you seek gain in the admiration of others, you will not find it. It's a chasing after the wind. You will receive your reward, but no reward further than just the admiration of others. Thinking about uh, uh, analogies that kind of get after what's happening here is this idea of drinking seawater. So, it's documented that if those, those folks that are, if you get lost at sea, uh, not a lake, but the ocean full of salt water, uh, and you resort to drinking that salt, salt water, it's well documented some of the things that will ha- begin to happen to you. Despite the sea, when I get this, when you look out at the sea, and you, you know it's salt water, but it looks like just water, right? It's wet like water. And so despite it being wet like water, when you begin to drink it, it has radically total different effects than drinking actual water. So rather than quenching the thirst, what does it do? It makes us thirstier. And people are actually known to become delusional the more they drink salt water. And they continue to go back to it more and more. So they get thirsty and get delusional, and that compounds to drinking more and more and more, and they end up dehydrating themselves more and more until they perish. 
I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about Jesus' warning here. From my experience, this is the very thing that happens with the admiration of others. It seems that it should quench my longing, but it doesn't. I only get thirsty for more and more of it. And I get delusional and keep going back to it. And what, what happens is in a sense that I become dehydrated spiritually. And any sense of spiritual vitality begins to dry up. It's the very thing that Jesus is getting after here. There's no reward but the admiration of others. And that reward continues to leave you thirsty. And so, if you're like me, I look at that and that sounds bleak. Especially if you recognize how strong that temptation is and how prevalent it is in so many spheres of our life. But the passage isn't in there. The hope is so strong. Let's look at this here. We're going to see it in verse 3, 6, and 17. Verse 3 says, But when you give to the needy, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret, will reward you. And then it's verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your washing, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When I look at that, what I see is our great hope is that we have a Father who sees. And in that short statement is an amazing encouragement. He is real. And he is living. This Christian life isn't just a good moral way of doing things that will make you a respectable human being in some circles in our world. It's not that at all. What that little phrase reminds us is that God is real, that he is king, and that he sees all things, and that he even calls us his sons and daughters. That is a beautiful, beautiful reality. And this is what we were meant for. We do these things because he sees, therefore him. That's what he's getting after here. The Father sees your giving, your service. The Father hears your prayers. The Father sees your desperation to know him when you fast. And our reward in all of those acts is him. He says he's going to reward you. He is the reward. This royal father delights over his children as they reflect him in their giving, as they pursue him in their prayer and fasting. And the earning of the admiration of others is like an employee kind of thing. You do and act and you get applause in, in return. But the earning here that he's talking about reward of the father to his children for these things is not like an employer. Look at the language here. It's fatherly language. And if we think earlier of the Beatitudes at the very beginning, Jesus says, blessed are those who pour in spirit. That means we don't earn anything. We come with open hands. So we're not earning in here. The picture is of a father delighting in his children. And we know, we get an idea, even if we didn't have this in our life, we know a good earthly father delights over his sons and daughters as they walk in the ways of the wise. And it isn't because they earn something, but because he just enjoys their presence and seeing this in their life. And that's the very thing he's getting after in this passage. His delight, his favor is far greater than any other reward we could ever imagine. I want to look backwards into the Old Testament now to Isaiah 55. And I'll, this is a plea uh, from God to his people to find a reward in him. And I want us to frame this in light of what we're thinking here 
with what he's saying, Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters and you have no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Just pause there. We're all thirsty. The reason why we turn to the admiration of others because you and I sense this emptiness inside of this craving for something more. God knows that. He's appealing to it. That's the very thing he's appealing to in the idea of a reward. But he said what he's offering is without money and without cost. The ad, to do things for the admiration of others, it costs you. It costs you your integrity. It costs you that relationship. It costs you the actual act. But when we're going after God, there's no cost. Jesus has purchased everything for us, and it comes freely to us. And he goes on to say, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Why would you chase after the admiration of others? You know it's like salt water. It leaves you thirsty and delusional. And he goes on to say, listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. The reward of this passage in Matthew 6 is the presence and the admiration and the delight of our Father. And his favor and his admiration are not salt water that will dry us out, but living water that will quench the deepest longing of our heart. And so this temptation for you and I to hunt after the admiration of others, it is very strong. But the hope of a father who sees and delights over his children is even stronger. So where do we go from here? Well, just a little caveat. Um, I didn't deal with this, but I will just say it. And if you want to talk more about it, come to me. We'd love, love to discuss it or point you to some places that can explain it. But these passages aren't, this isn't meant, meant that we can't pray with others, that we can't pray publicly as we do in church. If you just even go read a couple books later in the book of Acts, God's people are gathering publicly and praying together. They're giving, they're doing all those things. And so I didn't address this much, but if you have some of those questions, feel free to come up and ask, and we can talk about it. Nor did I really address the Lord's Prayer, which is a major portion of the Scripture. And I'd point you to, we had a sermon series on that. I really wanted to deal with what I think the main focus of this passage was, what set out in verse 1, is to challenge why we do these things. And so with that in mind, we're... Uh, where do we go from here? I, th I think a first point of application is that you and I to walk away, and we ought to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what is driving our obedience. Which seeing do we value? Do we want the admiration of a fickle crowd or the pleasure of a heavenly Father? Now, this doesn't mean that being encouraged or being thanked for something is wrong. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't get a measure of joy from that, Right? There's commands all throughout the Bible to do those kinds of things, to encourage one another, to thank one another. All those kinds of things are in the Bible. What it's saying is that those things ought not to drive us and be the reason why we're doing it. This passage challenges us not to hunt for it and live for it so that it hijacks the act and it becomes about us rather than the Father. Sam Storms, another uh, actually a pastor, writes this, and I think the way he writes this helps us to clarify the difference between receiving a encouragement and a, th and a thank someone thanking you and enjoying it and then living for it he says it like this so we must ask ourselves it's on your screen here am i acting like a mirror reflecting back all the glory to god or am i acting like a sponge absorbing all the attention and adulation for myself 
So it is right and good for us to encourage one another and thank one another, but the question becomes, are we reflecting it back to the one who ultimately deserves it, or are we soaking it up like it's all about us? We've got to ask ourselves that question. Ask the Holy Spirit to show us that. And, and secondly here uh, is to receive the forgiveness of God. Why do I put that in there? Because Jesus is convicting us here. The Holy Spirit will reveal this. This is an addiction for every human that's ever lived. The admiration of others or the, even just the admiration of our own self. And so no doubt we're going to find motives that have tainted all that we've done in this hunt for admiration, there's still hope. And this is the hope. This Father who sees, He's also the Father who forgives. Jesus didn't just say this. He would go to the cross for people like you and I who hunt for the admiration of others. To make a way to receive forgiveness, to come back into His presence and to learn once again what it looks like to live for His admiration, not anyone else's. So we can receive the forgiveness of God. And then lastly, point of application be on your screen is to bask in his smile. In our adoption, we have the favor of God. And there's great security there. We no longer have to live with the, under the fragile foundation of the admiration of others. We can bask in the smile of the Father. And this smile is for you and I. And it's not because of how we came in this morning. It's not because how much you pray today. It's not because what you gave. It's not because of what you'll read this week. The, the, the smile of the Father on you and I this morning has everything to do with what Jesus has paved the way for in our adoption. And it's secure. And it's forever. And it's satisfying. And so Grace Church, in the midst of this strong temptation to hunt after the admiration of others, the call here is to turn to the hope of our Father who sees and consider that there's nothing greater than His admiration. That is the greatest reward. Let's pray. Father, it's a strange thing to have to come up here and talk about uh, what Jesus is preaching and challenging us with, knowing firsthand uh, what it looks like to want to hunt after the admiration of others. But God, you are a good God. And in the very way that your son calls us to a greater and deeper righteousness that is driven by the beautiful things of this world and not by the hunt of the admiration of others, he would go to the cross to actually forgive us of the very things that he is calling us to. And not only that, he would pave the way to send the Holy Spirit to actually empower us to experience these very realities. And so, Father, would you meet us where we are? There are some in this room who have never known the smile of the Father, never known his forgiveness, have only lived under the, either the shame or the hunt of the admiration of others, the lack of it. Father, I pray that you would show them the way home, show them a way to the Father, they can come to you and be forgiven and experience your smile upon their life. And I pray for those who are followers of Jesus, would your Holy Spirit help us to see where it is we're trading the reputation or the actual act of godliness for the reputation of it. Would you help us repent of that? Receive your forgiveness. Bask in the smile of the Father. 
Would you empower us for this fight, Father? And even as we as a church are empowered to want to be salt and light in this community, and in, and in some levels outside of the church, we're, more, we're, we, we're, we're concerned on how we might be treated. And in the church, we want the admiration. God, I pray that we would want you to get the glory, that we would not be like sponges, God, but be like mirrors, reflect you to this world. We need you, Father. Would you come and meet us? In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.